Welcome to the Chapter 49 podcast. Today is February 4th, 2022. It is a Friday, a Friday after the big snowstorm. I guess we've been spoiled here in central Indiana. We haven't had a huge snowstorm in a long time, but boy, we certainly had one this time with a little ice underneath to boot. One man unfazed by the weather, Duncan Giles, now uh, in his home rather than his office because the office is closed. Good to have you back again, Duncan. Good to be here, Larry. And uh, for the folks getting this on Monday, I apologize, but I don't have all my equipment here, so I'm not able to send it out via the usual suspect way. So we'll get it out uh, first thing Monday morning. And we'll we'll have it on the uh, we'll have a link out there on our Facebook page. So hopefully people maybe you know we'll, we'll note that uh, your email won't be going out today. Hopefully uh, people will get the word out and uh, and people will know that there is yet another Chapter Forty Nine podcast that's going on. And I want to start off with what's happened with the weather. When the weather forecast got fairly scary, I think it was probably Tuesday, Wednesday of this week, uh, you were communicating on a regular basis with the people who make the decisions on whether or not offices remain open or are closed. Talk about how that system went this year. Yeah, that's always interesting when we have these type of weather events, when they're going to be doing closures, how they're going to be doing closures. I think this year was a lot easier uh, even though we haven't had any real significant events, weather events in the last couple of years, because of the evacuation order. So it impacts a lot less people. People can work from home. So I want to give a shout out to our administrative officer uh, for the state of Indiana, Latanya McDaniel, and the senior commissioner's rep for the Great Lakes region, Chris Heron, who uh, listened to concerns, made decisions proactively, and made them early so that employees could plan uh, if they were impacted by the shutdown. It's interesting you mentioned that because uh, I was wondering that too. Uh, How does the fact that uh, the service is still under an evacuation order impact a decision like that? Do you think the management would have made that decision as early as it did had there been no evacuation order in place? I think that there would have been a lot more pushback from the business units had there not been an evacuation order in place. Um, But to their credit, um, the senior commissioner's reps' offices uh, erred on the side of caution. Um, You know, Wednesday and Friday could have been, you know, an early dismissal or a late uh, start day possibly. But when you're talking such a uh, smaller percentage of employees impacted, it, I think it made it a lot easier. And that's another thing that there are an awful lot of people who are evacuated who have never worked telework before and were, you know, kind of concerned, well, how come they get the day off and, you know, I still have to work? Well, unfortunately, that's a trade-off for telework. If you want to be working from home, then it's only going to be if your home is impacted by the same thing. So it's, you know, there's no commute from your bedroom to your living room where you're doing the work. Um, you know, if, if there is, if there is weather impact there, you've got much worse problems than telework. You've got some roof problems or something. Um, but we wanted to, you know, make sure that we kept everybody as safe as possible. And I do appreciate their efforts in that. This might be a good opportunity just to 
explain something to to our, our people who uh, listen and, and watch uh, this podcast. Having been a union official and then a manager, I have a little insight as to as to this. But you might want to let people watching and listening know. Just explain as best you can and as simply and briefly as you can just how decisions are made to keep an office open or closed when the weather is bad. Yeah, the senior commissioner's rep and the administrative officer go out to the commissioner's reps and each of the PODs asking them, okay, what are the conditions going to be in your office? What do you think they're going to be? What is the long-range weather forecast? Once they have that information, then they form a preliminary decision. Then they go out to the business units and see if there is any resistance or pushback from them. As in, you know, for example, if there had been a lot of pushback from the call site, um, you know, for closing the call site for three days, how much resistance would have been there? That would have factored into their decision. So it's there's a combination of things that build up to this. The senior commissioner's rep ostensibly has the final uh, say in this but the business units weigh in quite heavily. Let's move on to another subject, a little more uh, delightful subject rather than weather. And that has to do with the child care subsidy that was negotiated in this last round of, of national bargaining. And there's a child care subsidy. It is uh, limited by income, but still there are a number of IRS employees who would be eligible to use this. Uh, we you, as the as the union who pushed for this and the management who agreed this was a good idea, realized the rollout was going to be a little bumpy, take some time. Where does that stand right now? Yeah, that's one of those things where the devil's in the details. You know, we came to a fairly quick agreement. I like to call this the Ken Moffat, who's our director of national negotiations at NTU um, amendment, because he's the one who proposed this uh, and management. After a very short um, back and forth time, realized it was a good thing uh, with income limits, which we understood as well. And so we want to make sure that those folks who have, you know, uh, incomes at a lower level will be able to get some help with their child care. We wanted it. We wanted to have it for everybody. But, you know, IRS pushed back pretty hard on that one because they said there does need to be income limits. They showed where other agencies who did have this did have income limits. So we're able to work with that. The problem being is once you select a vendor, um, you're trying to get everything together. How the um, how are the receipts going to be sent in? How is this going to be done? So NTU has been basically pushing, and I think it will come to fruition, that um, the it should be retroactive. So everybody... If you, you know, meet the income limits that are out there and take your child to a licensed child care, and that's going to be very important, have save your receipts from them. So in case, um, in case it is retroactive, you can go ahead and have those applied to those payments. And it should be noted, most, most licensing uh, is done through state governments, correct? Correct. So if you wanted to find out whether a daycare is licensed, you have to make sure they have a license based on the state law. Now, just so people know, and I think we've talked about this before, but as a reminder, where where are those income limits? Uh, can you explain where they're at? Yeah, the income limits, I believe, are uh, under 70000 for total family income. Then there's a seventy to 80000 break, and then eighty to ninety. 
and that's total family income. So that would include everything that you have coming in for yourself if you're single or yourself and your spouse, um, which is a little bit different from your adjusted gross income on your taxes. So the, um, you know, and those folks who are at the lower income level first are going to get uh, the first crack at the funds and the funds are finite. Um, you know, we do have a, a budget for it every year and it is a pretty healthy budget, but we just don't know what the total financial impact is going to be and how many people are going to avail themselves of this program. So it's tough to tell how many people are going to be, you know, in the 70 to $80,000 a year going to get it, how many in the 80 to 90 are going to get it. We just don't know at this point. Okay, so a lot of unanswered questions, but you at least know there is a budget there uh, to be drawn upon. And uh, that was something I hadn't heard before, to keep your receipts that it'll be retroactive. So good that's, what we're, that's what we're pushing for. And, um, you know, and I give credit to IRS management, too. They realize that this is something that's needed as a recruiting or retention tool to try and keep employees as well. So they recognize the value of it, too. Well, let's just move. We haven't talked about COVID yet. Isn't that something? Yeah, when you know, <laughs> had two. Yeah, when it's our third story, that's yeah. that's always good. So it's uh, I guess there's some good news there, but it's it's not necessarily good news. At least it is uh, good news that we're not having to talk about it at the top of of the podcast. But we are, of course, talking about it. And there's one aspect of it that you've seen some um, email traffic on, and I'd like you just to talk a little bit about it, whatever update you have. Uh, we are aware, and I think the service has internally communicated this effectively based on what you've shared with me, that uh, as far as any kind of action or, or discipline for people who have not been vaccinated, that's been held in abeyance, not withdrawn, but but just put on hold as the courts continue to, to work through how the uh, mandate for vaccinations issued by the president will be handled in the courts. We have a Texas uh, court a local court that uh, issued an order that was nationwide it's in the appeals court now we don't know what the appeals court will do with it but there's one aspect of this because and we and i've talked about this before this whole issue of reasonable accommodations a lot of there's over five thousand i think you said it could be as many as seven thousand reasonable accommodation requests pending large portion of those are for religious accommodations the others are medical but with all these reasonable accommodations that are pending right now, is the management still sorting through those, or has that been put on total hold as well? Uh, we have gotten indications and employees have gotten emails basically stating that they are putting that on hold for right now. Now, are they still going to be taking a look at this behind the scenes? I think that's very possible, but they're not going to be – actively uh, working on them for asking employees for more information, letting employees know what the status is, things of that nature, while the, uh, while the stay is in place from the Texas federal court until the appeals court uh, says something about it. So right now, everything, you know, when not only is discipline is in, in abeyance, but it appears that any work, that'll be communicated to employees on the status of reasonable accommodations will be held in abeyance as well. Well, there is some good news where I live in Fishers, for example, the COVID case numbers have, in the last two weeks are down 62%, which is uh, very, very encouraging. And throughout the state of Indiana, they're down not by nearly that much, 
but in Indiana, which is one of the later states to, to see the, the Omicron variant uh, enter our state and have it detected, uh, the, the number of cases are beginning to decrease. Because we don't know if another variant will come up or some other complication will come up, but at least in the short term, we'll take some good news. Absolutely, yeah. There's, And this is going to be also part and parcel of the testing program that the IRS and other federal government agencies are going to have to do and get rolled out. So there's still a lot of work ahead, even with the cases down. You know, we, with COVID, as we've all seen, we can't afford to let our guard down. We still want people to get vaccinated. We still would like to see people get boosted just to protect yourselves and your family, your friends, your fellow employees. So there's still going to need to be testing. There's still going to need to be, uh, at this point, people being masked up when they are in the buildings or in IRS space. There's still going to need to be uh, physical distancing and management's going to be enforcing that. So while the cases are down, the danger is still out there. We don't know to what degree at this point. And, you know, I'd love to see it just disappear completely or become seasonal like the flu. But we are not at that point now. And we don't want to let our guard down. But absolutely trending down is a great thing. I just saw a figure the other day, and I think you saw this too, that uh, finally some number crunchers have come up with what it would cost uh, for the federal government to test every federal employee working in an office every week. What was it, $5 million? Yes, it was. How For how yeah, long? So is it's that, not a cheap endeavor. Is it like per week or month? I'm trying to remember. Can you remember? Per I week. That's per week, which is $5 million per week adds up very, very quickly. So it's, we knew it would be expensive. We had no idea it would be that expensive. So, to, and, right, and, and, exactly. And that kind of gets us into the next issue, which is the evacuation order. The evacuation order, as we mentioned, uh, helped uh, the management uh, make the decision to close offices for bad weather. But the evacuation order is still in place, as we've talked about before. And uh, just based on the timing, the 30-day notice required, the earliest offices could open up uh, and have employees come back in in larger numbers would be mid-March, where people would be coming into the office much more than they are now. Um, So that evacuation order, if it's ever lifted, that's when that $5 million a week would come in, because it would take that that much money in order to, uh, uh, and, and that many tests, and we're Still not absolutely sure the government could find contracts for that many tests. But uh, a reminder for people, we've talked about this almost every podcast. We'll say it again. The evacuation order is still in place, and there's been no 30-day notice that it will be lifted as of February 4th. Exactly so. So that's, you know, the IRS is going to have their testing program settled and how they want to do it supposedly by the 15th of this month. Um, I I think that's optimistic, but I'm all for that. That doesn't mean it's rolling out. That means that's when they would be able to share it with national NTU uh, because there is probably, I'm sure going to be some impact and implementation issues that national NTU will want to have discussions, if not negotiations with the IRS over. So yeah, the people who are saying, well, I was hearing March 1st. I, you know, I'm sure it's going to be March 1st. No, it's just too early. Like I've been saying, March 15th, I think, is the earliest. I think it's very possible it could be the end of March. But it will be coming. 
and employees will be having to come back into the office twice a pay period just because that's what the contract calls for. And the um, fact of the matter is that we tried to get folks to be able to stay at home and work from home permanently, but their um, IRS was very resistant to that for many reasons, not the least of which was the salary issue of where you live, where you live versus your locality pay for your post of duty could impact your pay. Speaking of uh, talks and negotiations, uh, the, the service has let this be known. In fact, the commissioner sent out a message, which you shared with me as a retiree. I don't get those automatically, uh, which basically says that the service with the tremendous paper backlog, that paper backlog could be just adjustments. It could be or some, a few uh, paper filed original returns and a number of amended returns. I mean, the service has, I think the last figure I saw was in the neighborhood of six million cases yet uh, to be worked. It's just an incredible number. I can't even put my arms around that. But as a result, there are going to be some people who have maybe worked in, in those adjustments or in that area who the service is going to detail back to that adjustment job. You've already been getting a lot of questions about that. Um, what answers do we have? Uh, not many at this point. Basically, the IRS has apparently identified around 1,200 employees. Uh, the vast majority, I'm sure, will end up being service center employees who have uh, used to work in accounts management over the last and left over the last two years for different jobs in the service. You know, it, it could be that they've gone to work for taxpayer advocate or another job in SBSE or another job in the service center, if that's applicable. But it's, you know, they've, they've basically said this is an emergency. And, and to be honest with you, I can understand where they're coming from in invoking an emergency because we're just not making much headway into getting this, um, getting this paper inventory down. So they're just trying to do a surge team for lack of a better term, to, you know, either have people cover the phone so that more people can work paper inventory or, you know, use these surge teams to work the paper inventory. We're still not clear on that. National NTU is still getting information. So I have people coming to me and going, are we going to be impacted? Am I going to be impacted? And we just don't know for sure, but I've told people that it's very possible. But as soon as we have information, we'll get it out. But right now, we just don't know the details. You know, I'm sorry. I, get, I think there's always a little skepticism. Let me tell you what, why I say that. I remember many years ago, uh, the, the uh, personnel and the management in the service centers, campuses, if you will, uh, tried to convince the management in account, accounts management, I'm not even sure we called it that in those days, to take some of the caseload off the service centers. And they set some cases just as a sample and they were like address changes, really simple adjustments. And so, oh, yeah, we could work that. Once the work started coming in, it was complex adjustments that took hours to complete. So uh, I guess there's a little distrust sometimes. I would hope that would not be the case now. I'm sure none of the, nothing like that will occur at all, Larry. I'm sure that's, that's totally cleared up. And it'll, everything will be easy. The thing I really found amusing on this was that uh, wage and investment and specifically accounts management came up with this, went up through their chain, went to the commissioner's office to get approval. And then 
they inform the other business units of what they're going to be doing. So, it, you know, the other business units weren't brought in on the front end. So I have to think that they really enjoyed this being a fait accompli. It's like, oh, yeah, this is what's going to happen. Yeah, that, and that, your program's going to suffer. That is not the way it's usually done. And I think this, <laughs> I think that's a message saying, okay, the commissioner has looked at this. You will do this. So there's no, there's no negotiation going on. You know, this is the way it's going to be. Um, so anyway, there, I guess there's just that natural distrust amongst business units that you have seen as a chapter president many times, I'm sure. But so if you think you may be one of those people put on detail, uh, Duncan has no idea whether you'll be detailed or not. And uh, once that uh, begins to happen, there will be some impact and implementation uh, bargaining to figure out how this is all going to be done. And and Duncan will certainly let people know once that happens. Absolutely, yeah, because we want to make sure that no one's – basically, IRS is saying this is an emergency. We need to have this done. That's great. But we don't want to see anybody harmed financially. We don't want to see their, uh, you know, their appraisals armed, things of that nature. So there's going to need to be um, some protection for these employees who are being drafted against their will to come back and do this type of work that they have left because they've gotten other jobs to make sure that they're protected as much as possible. And I think that's an understandable, Duncan. I mean, some of these people worked those cases did that job for years, applied for another job because they want most of the time they're getting promotions to get another job. And then you're getting yourself into that other job. And lo and behold, you're told to go back. That's not always an easy thing to do. But it should be pointed out that uh, this can only be a temporary sort of thing and nobody should lose their grade. Correct? Absolutely. There should not be any financial penalty whatsoever. And this is scheduled to be going through the end of the fiscal year. Um, I'm sure at that point the IRS will reassess this. But, yeah, nobody should be losing uh, any money whatsoever. Nobody should have to move because of this. Nobody should have to, um, you know, be basically negatively impacted because we're trying to do a service to the taxpayers. And, and you know, the, the commissioner realized, that, you know, he's getting beat up on the Hill by public, by practitioners, you know, by everybody, by the press, because we've got this huge backlog. So they're trying to do what they can to fix that. And I get that. I totally understand it. But we want to make sure that the employees are not run roughshod over in, you know, to accomplish that goal. Let's talk a little bit about that, because I've been watching this as well. And you're right, the commissioner has been beaten up pretty badly in in any kind of uh, hearing he's required to to attend and, and, and testify before the Congress. And, you know, I think it's one of those situations where you cannot really blame the commissioner or anybody at IRS for this in the management side, or certainly not the union. It's just the fact that there have been COVID outbreaks. I think we have to go back a couple of years almost and and remember that we had a huge, we the service when I say that, the Internal Revenue Service had a huge outbreak of COVID at the Kansas City Service Center. And it, it took a while to get that tamped down because it was spreading like wildfire. And now there are, you know, procedures and uh, the implementation of rules to try to tamp that down. But part of that is you can only have so many employees working in these buildings at a time. 
anybody who's ever been to a service center, and we sometimes have a few service center employees who actually listen and watch this podcast, but those who aren't should, I mean, I've visited them. Those people who work paper, they sit pretty close together under normal circumstances. So we're dealing with a much lower number of people in these buildings, like the Kansas City Service Center, for example. And they're working under tough conditions, but they're still spread out more just because of the fact that you don't want another spread of of, uh, COVID or outbreak of COVID in one of these centers because that would set everything back even further. And and it's been a public relations nightmare because I've been following the the mainstream press and they have been – they have really not bashed the IRS. They're just kind of stating the fact that IRS is not able to put as many people on paper – return filing and, and uh, paper cases because some of these this work really doesn't lend itself to working online or at home and that kind of thing. So I think that this, and I'm just like your take on this, the service is trying very hard, I think, in these details, just to show the public and the Congress, hey, we're trying to do something here. I, I absolutely agree. And I think you're spot on when you're saying, you know, this is not IRS management's fault from the commissioner on down. Uh, I think everybody who knows me or has watched these podcasts or listened to them know I'm happy to take the IRS management to task for every single thing that they do wrong. I have no problem doing that whatsoever. This is not one of those cases. This is COVID really was the straw that broke the camel's back. It was very, very tough, has been, continues to be, and I'm fearing it will be, continuing to get new employees in the door. We are not even coming close to backfilling uh, for the employees that we lose. We're trying everything we can. They're, you know, they keep looking at, okay, can we make people permanent instead of seasonal? Is there a possibility of raising the grade of particular positions, um, which is an arduous process that is usually unsuccessful? Um, but it's it's just very very difficult right now and. It's so buried. And, you know, there's a lot of frustration among taxpayers, practitioners. They complain to Congress about it. You know, Congress, of course, comes back and gives to us and goes, what are you guys doing? So this is their version of trying to show that, like you said, they are doing something. And they are trying to be as proactive as they can be. But there still needs to be physical separation in all of these service centers where they're doing this type of work. And so you've got fewer people able to do it. At the same time, and unfortunately, so much of our work is still paper-driven. It's you know not easily scanned, things of that nature. It's still actually doing the paper and inputting it, things of that nature. That takes the human hands. So when you have to have six feet of physical separation to maintain safety, it's going to mean, like you said, less people doing it, and that just makes it tougher. And I think on top of that, is you sort of alluded to this, a part of the ingredient of this, one big ingredient of it, is that IRS has been starved budget-wise for a long time, 10, 20 years. And when that adds up, you know, when a, an emergency like this happens, that makes it much worse. So I think that's that's a big part of it as well. You and I have talked about that many times. Uh, let me just add a final, uh, final uh, issue we want to talk about. NTEU does have a free file program for our members, which you can access through nteu.org through your account as a member. If you don't have one, it's easy to set one up. Unfortunately, IRS is is the reason for this. Uh, 
even though it's free file, there is uh, an income limit on that, something you didn't want to do, but the IRS required us to do. So talk about our free file program NTEU was offering this year. Yeah, what what's happened is last year there wasn't a limit on the free file income, and IRS did impose a limit this year on any of those free file systems. And so the folks that NTU Nationals partnered with that you can get through to our uh, through our website, um, you know, there's a limit of, of $73,000, be it single, you know, married, filing jointly, whatever, head of household, whatever it is, that if you're not under that limit, you will be, you know, you won't be able to file for free. You won't, you'll be charged for uh, your state and federal filing. So this is not something that NTU has done or that IRS is doing specifically to NTU. They're doing it to all the free file. This is the income limit that they've set up and decided to do. NTU is pushed back vigorously. Let me use that word, vigorously at the national level, uh, so far to no avail. We Our feeling is, you know, why are we making it so difficult for people to file for free when they, you know, this is what the way the program was set up. And we feel that uh, 73000 especially for folks who are filing jointly, is a very low threshold, and it should be increased. But so far, we've not had any success in getting that raised. Well, things have gone quickly for 30 minutes or so. Uh, any uh, final comment, Duncan? Yeah, something um, that's been on my mind lately is, you know, when talking about, and this goes back to the uh, folks who retire as soon as they can, or folks that leave for other positions, or folks that leave the agency, you know, there's there's a basic reason for that. And that's when employees are not engaged. And if they're not engaged, they're not being treated right. Sure, the money is not the greatest, but we have good benefits. But if you don't have leaders that know how to treat people, deal with people, help people in their jobs, and instead are more managers where they're just trying to get out a number of widgets or whatever it is, then you're going to have a less engaged workforce and you're going to have more people leave. So I you know, urge every manager out there that listens to this or executive, and we know that there are quite a few, to do what you can to talk to others in your chain to try and improve the way that you deal with people. Let's have some empathy. This is a horrible, historic time that we're going through right now. Everybody has got issues going on. And the more empathetic that managers can be, the more people will be more engaged, want to stay, want to work through all this. So just let's let's just you know keep in mind that this is very tough on everyone. And if if a program is not meeting its numbers or we're not having enough people on the phones or something of that nature, understand that there are reasons behind that and don't just go back to the old the beatings will continue until morale improves attitude. Couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, Duncan Giles, that's who you just saw and heard. And uh, that will conclude our Chapter 49 podcast for February 4th, February 4th of 2022. We uh, appreciate the fact that you are watching and listening to our podcast. 
And if you saw a different damp backdrop for Duncan Giles or saw that uh, it had that kind of uh, independent film feel where the picture was moving around a little bit, it's because Duncan literally had to hold his phone to uh, be on us video-wise, to be with us video-wise. Um, again, if you want to just spread the word, go to... Uh, uh, go to YouTube, look up Duncan Giles, there's more than one, look up ours, you'll see all the Chapter 49 podcasts that we have produced the last several months, or go to any audio podcast platform, go to Podcast by Larry Lannon, and you'll see the Chapter 49 podcast. We thank you very much for watching and listening. Take care of yourself, be safe, and be kind. Be kind.